0: Ooh. Mm-hmm. Anderson, the owner of the fabulously popular Possible Futures Bookstore. Good morning.
1: Good morning, dear. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm real good. It's a little bit of a dreary day, but you know, I love, I love bringing the book joy. I did some deliveries this morning, so I dropped off some great books. <laughs> some people's uh, still like, kind of with the shrapnel of Halloween, like porches.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, and so let's, let's let's get into this. So you got this you got this beautiful bookstore. It's right there in the corner of Edgewood and Hotchkiss, corner Indeed. of Edgewood and Day. It's a block it's a couple of blocks away from um the iconic Black Print Heritage Gallery, and walking truth Christian bookstore mm-hmm. by B. Taylor. So that alone warms my heart a great deal. So was it always a dream to have a bookstore? I mean, it was sort of like the secret dream
1: for many years. Like if you had asked my, uh, like the boldest version of my 20-year-old self, what I would want to do with my life, I probably, if you could have gotten me to be um, honest, I would have probably said like, I don't know, have a space like full of books and like where people get to hang out. But that would have just seemed impractical <laughs> to me at the time. I I followed a much more, I don't know, traditional path and it was a beautiful one I was a teacher um, I was a teacher educator for many years but I always thought about doing this and I you know I had a great job on paper the kind of job you can keep
0: like forever basically because you're um, a tenured tenured <laughs> professor Dr. Lauren Anderson indeed, right indeed, and I think you chaired a whole department <laughs>
1: I did I chaired a department I ran a teacher education program and I mean it was beautiful work it was um but for, I was always like an ambivalent academic in the sense that like, I didn't really see myself living my life out work-wise in, in that kind of institution. And mm-hmm. a lot of being, up, people don't always know this, but like a lot of being a tenured professor is, um, is doing institutional maintenance work, being on committees, contributing to the institution in that way. And some people are good at that and love it. Um, but I really like, felt like if I was going to do institutional maintenance work it, it should be for a public institution or the public library or the public good in some way and so you know this like lifelong desire of starting a, a starting like an independent book space um I finally let myself
0: do it and here we are <laughs> and, <laughs> you know? not, and not just any not just any <laughs> book space I mean you have deliberately and intentionally stacked this space with books by and about people of color. Indeed
1: yeah yeah I mean I um, I was a teacher in New York City and then Los Angeles like for many years um, working with teachers and I taught a class for about a decade. Um, I, I taught about the history of schooling in the United States pre-colonial to present sort of a straight kind of critical history class. I taught how to teach reading to young children um, from a more critical perspective. Um, And then I taught about the analysis, like the analysis of text for children. And like it, you know, a lot of that was reading tons of children's books and also understanding the landscape of literature for children in terms of what young people have access to versus what they need to have access to. Um, And, you know, I think Um, I always wanted to have a bookstore that if it was a or a book space that would be kind of a corrective or at least not not participating in the perpetuation of underrepresenting certain groups and overrepresenting others that we just see systemically. So in order to do that, you kind of have to make a conscious decision about saying these are the books that we're going to focus on. These are the books we're going to give shelf space to. These are the books we're going to put out so that when people walk into the room in our city, they feel like, "Oh, this space, this space both like reflects me in a real way." And also I'm going to be able to meet books here that are um not books I would meet like necessarily on the shelf in a Barnes and Noble or necessarily on the shelf in the, even the public
0: library. Mhm. And so in doing that, as a white woman, mm. you know that's a that's a very big deal, right? Because I don't I don't think people would think about that that way. I think people would think, well, "Oh, she opened a bookstore. I'll go and get you know Barbara Taylor Bradford. You know what I mean? Like a... <laughs> or Nick
1: Sparks. I'll get my, uh, I'll, get or, my notebook. Oh, yes. I'll get the notebook. Yes, I get the notebook.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, And then yeah, you I get with no tell shade people, to those. No shade to those books, no shade whatsoever. Just you know, it's a different vibe.
1: and I well, I also tell people it's like i I'm a big proponent of just reading. I think a lot of the crisis in reading for young people has to do with the assumptions that adults in decision making roles may like have about what kids would want to read, whether kids want to read. I think my experience is that young people really, really want to read. They really, really want books. They want books about um, things that they care about that connect to their lives, but oftentimes they don't see themselves as readers in the same way that a lot of us like don't see ourselves as artists or dancers or because, I mean, when we're little, we all are those things. Like every child is a dancer, every child is an artist, every child, right? Like every kid thinks they're really good at painting. Why would they, I mean, until somebody makes them feel like they're not. And, and frankly, like a lot of the history of our school system is, um, which is full of wonderful people doing amazing work, but structurally the history of it has been to convince certain people that they don't have cultural wealth and capacity. and. and so, you know, I remember when I was first a teacher, I was like teaching like third, fourth grade, kids are telling me that they're not a reader. I'm like, what do you mean you're not a reader? You're, you're in fourth grade. Of course, <laughs> of course, you're a reader. Like what happened? what happened to you to make you think that reading isn't like your birthright? Um, so, you know, I, I, I do feel like it's a lot of personal experience that kind of, and job experience and community work that's like gone into why I would want to do something like this and feel, you know, quite frankly, bold enough, and at the same time, humble, maybe enough to do it. Mm. But I also, you know, if you love reading Nick Sparks, come to come to possible futures and order your Nick Sparks book here, because it will support possible futures to do what it does. And so I tell people, you know, if you want um, books that aren't on the shelf, of course the space can get them for you and mm-hmm. will do that happily. And it's sort of a values purchase. Like if you believe that spaces like this should exist in our city and be accessible for every child and every family and every neighborhood, then you can make the decision to support it. Even if what you personally want to read isn't necessarily the stuff that's on the shelves. Although I hope when you come to pick up your book, you're going to like explore a little and maybe branch out or potentially right from what you would, what you would kind of typically choose, but I love that. They're healthier. I think they're that's, healthier. A,
0: that's such a good way to, to, to tell people to uh, come in and, and get their books. Because um, if you, if you like, if you like this commitment, how you support it is you go and buy the books that you like, from possible future bookstores that help keep the representation of the books that you have uh available. So I I, I like that thinking very much. So and I, I love, you know, when I was a kid, I don't remember ever having books about kids that look like me or families that look like mine. Like I and and then the young adult world, like I find myself reading more of those YA books than
1: they're I ever so thought good. I would. <laughs> they're, so to God,
0: they're so good. They're so good.
1: I'm also like a little bit, I mean, I'm not evangelical about much because I'm, <laughs> I'm like sort of introverted in my way, but I am I am a book pusher when it comes to like, adult. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and also though, Babs, when it comes to adults reading YA and children's books, because I do think, And I would talk to teachers, like people who are becoming teachers a lot about this. So one of the key issues with teaching is that, you know, most of us who become teachers have spent 20 years in what, you know, sociologists have called like an apprenticeship of observation. We've participated in school and we've seen school be done a certain way for so many years that even if intellectually we want to do it differently, we tend to teach the way we were taught. Even if we're critical of it, and I think when it comes to like children's books, a lot of people who are becoming teachers, right, they haven't necessarily read children's books in in twenty years, and the <laughs> and in those and in those twenty years, really important things have happened. I mean, there really there has been an explosion, and you know, there's there are little there are parts of this that can be challenging too, because you can have an explosion of books by authors of color or like folks from underrepresented groups in publishing and on public shelves, and it doesn't necessarily mean that all of those books are great books, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Why would we expect them to be? Uh, But it does mean that, like, there's a ton of stuff available for the child in you that didn't get to read what it needed when you were a child. Just the other day, there was someone in here who was like, do you have any books about grief? And I was like, yeah, I have some, but like to be, and this is an, this is an adult who had lost a parent. And I was like, to be honest, like there's this kid's book called death is stupid. That's like, really, it's really good. You might want to sit with it for a little. And like that person actually engaged with that book in the little children's (laughs) nook. And, and like by the, about half an hour later, there's like myself and two adults, you know, in that nook, tearing up together, talking about loss and like the big feelings that go with losing people. And I don't think any, I don't remember having a book like that for myself as a young person, but I also think the idea that adults wouldn't benefit from what are often these like beautifully crafted, simple and profound books for children. is crazy. Like we should, of course, we should be reading all of that. Why shouldn't adults get books with pictures in them that are beautiful? Yes. We've been cheated. We've been cheated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so you know, what what do you make of all this conversation about children not reading right now? Like, re, like reading is down, and they you know we're still having these conversations about how to teach reading. How do you how do you how do you think about that? And 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 how do you think about it in a relationship to having a, a beautifully appointed bookstore?
1: Yeah, um, it's such a like a crucial question. I mean, I think. I think there's a lot. I mean, we could have a whole show. <laughs> just like teaching reading to young children and what that could and should look like and how that differs from what it is. Um, and I kind of won't go down that path because you'll never, you'll never get me back. <laughs> but I will say that like part of the reason for starting the book space um, is because I do think like access and to book joy, meaning like the collective joy that people can experience around books. And also just like the personal joy, the way you can like immerse yourself in a book and all all the other, sometimes all the other things in your life can slip away. It's like an escape. Um, I think everyone should have access to that. I also have always seen the space as like having a real particular role to play for teachers Um, who can kind of come to the space to find new books that maybe better represent the children that they're teaching and the issues that they want to be teaching about, but don't necessarily have immediate access to resources
0: for. Mm, mm.
1: I love like, I love when people come in and they're like, I'll be honest. Like I, you know, there was a woman the other day who was like, I really am looking for, um, books in Spanish that feature Asian American and Pacific Islander kids, (laughs) right? She's like, I teach in Spanish, but I'm teaching, like, a broader group of students, and I really want to do a better job of exposing them. Like, here you go
0: <laughs> I, <did. laughs> I totally did and i was like, just like oh my god <laughs> i totally did though babs i was
1: like there's this great children's book called, <laughs> called drum dream girl about an afro chinese cuban girl who oh my gosh it's a picture book by margarita engel and who like basically defies the the norm that drumming was for boys so i mean this is a book that's like carrying a lot of yes amazing kind of like possibility and and resistance and like the kind of and also joy like like playing drums together and being like that's my calling and I no matter what I'm going to find a way to do that and you know giving young people access to a story like that and having that story story also be in Spanish is like it's like such a gift, but I also think it's a lot to expect of our teachers that in addition to spending the whole day with children, oftentimes going home to their own children on a woefully under, like undercompensated salary, that they're also going to somehow be able in their free time (laughs) to read all the books that they never got to read when they were young. Like, I just feel like to me, that's a little bit of a niche, like offering. And then I will say, People, you know, you know, I'm on the library board. And also one of the things I just so wish is that all public school libraries in the city were open through the summer, staffed with a full-time librarian. Now they're not even staffed with a full-time librarian during the school year, um, many of them. But it's like when I was opening the space or trying to get it ready, and I was just out throughout the summer, I cannot even tell you how many young people came by and they're like, miss, when can we come in? Miss, when are the books getting here? Miss, like, are you open yet? Miss, miss, miss. And um, and I just think those young people will go to the school library. You know, we have rooms of books that are locked. Gosh. Think you about know,
0: when it. I a, when I was a kid, the library was the grace for me. It was Man. the saving grace. I mean, I I, I remember... Uh, going downtown New Haven to the library. Uh, and it was such a, it, it, you know, it was different than it looks now. Like it used to be this very dark and gloomy, but imposing space, right? Like it was like right out of a movie. Um, and, but I would spend hours there. Like I would, I would just check out books and I would bring them. I mean, it was just the, it was just the, I loved walking across the green because I would go to the mall I would go to Orange Julius. I'd get a hot dog in the Orange Julius, (laughs) and then I would I would uh, uh, go and get my books. And then on the way back, I would stop at uh, Merle's Record Rack sometimes. uh, Or if I was feeling real ambitious, I'd walk to Cutler's over on Broadway with Mm -hmm. my books. That was my Saturday. Like that was my Saturday vibe, right? Yeah, I, I libraries
1: saw, I, I, are literally, libraries are literally essential. And of course, librarians are also woefully, like, undercompensated. Um, and I just, you know, I think that our libraries are doing that for so many young people now. And I do think that our, li- you know, people will sometimes say, like, I don't see myself in competition with like anyone, number one, as like a book space. It's like, I wish there was a book space in every single neighborhood. And the thing I mean about the school libraries is that like, imagine when you think about where they are, where our schools are in the city, it's like every kid could be walking to a room full of books in like a few blocks. that, That would be transformative because I do, you know, I think the library we have is doing such an amazing job. And there's some element of it where, you know, if kids, kids who are just walking by here will come in and, you know, the more of those kinds of spaces that we have to capture young people into community and into reading, um, the better, the healthy, like the healthier they are, which means the healthier we are, which means the healthier our city is. And, you know, that's the, that's at least one of the future's The the futures I would like to have made possible by all of us, like, knocking our heads together and getting really excited. I mean, I was such a nerd on my porch last night, like, a classic nerd for Halloween. And, I mean, the kids, they
0: probably think I'm crazy,
1: crazy. but they kind of,
0: like, love it. They're like, I'm like, trick trick or read. And they're like, (laughs) read. I I love, the costume was the best costume ever. Ever, I was like, she actually did it. Like, it's great, and I love that trickery. Like, but that's but that's what children will remember. That's that's what people will remember and be inspired by, right? Like, yeah, I I I love it. So, so at the end of the day, as much as we love this space and the space is gorgeous, it is a business, Mm -hmm. and you 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 have to. It's a labor of love. You love doing it. This is your dream, but it also has to turn a profit indeed it does and so and and bookstores across the country are having are enjoying a renaissance of sorts there was a moment when bookstores were independent booksellers were shutting their doors Mm -hmm. shutting their doors uh and and just after 30 years 20 years whatever but now we're starting to sort of see um, bookstores reimagined, particularly independent booksellers, mm-hmm. particularly booksellers of color, uh, uh, or that sell books of color. How do you, how do you, how do you reconcile yourself with the work that you this, doing this work, selling books, talking to people about books? Like you just don't sell a book. Like you, you know, these books. And I think that's what makes it so magical that you know, these books so well, but how do you balance that with the fact that, you know, this has to make money too. this is not a vanity project Oh yes
1: no no I know it's like I that's why I tell people get your books here it like it doesn't like the lights are not on for free (laughs) you know they're just they're not I mean some of it is spending as little money as possible on the stuff that I think isn't uh, that isn't books so that's one aspect of the business like I've told you this and other people know this but It's like a lot of the furniture in here is just like hand-me-down or dumpster. I have a wonderful neighbor who dumpster dives and like a lot of the furniture that's in here is just like coming. So trying to do as much um, without cost as possible. But I I think also people are spending money and they're spending money on books. So some of it is giving people like an option and letting them know that you exist and why it matters to buy from you versus buying from Amazon or, mm-hmm. you know, buy from you versus buying from Barnes and Noble. Um, And that part takes a, a good deal of time and will just be like an ongoing project. And then I also do think business-wise that people like to buy things, you know, some of the other stuff that's in the space. It's like these beautiful things made by local creatives, um, local makers, local entrepreneurs. Oh yeah.
0: Get my soaps there. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Addie
1: and and Richard and their beautiful family have like Tierra Soap Company and you can visit them at the Edgewood Farmers Market for I I think it's still going for a little bit um, on Sundays, but they're also here all the time. And, you know, I think that when people think about buying gifts, more and more people are trying to spend their money in ways that are community conscious and that aren't just buying a bunch of disposable stuff. Mm -hmm. So trying to help people understand um, that like virtuous circle of how you go when you when you choose to put your dollars somewhere and you're putting them in a place that values other local entrepreneurs and also has a mission that is about more than making money, about more than like capitalist transaction. um, You're making you're making an impact on the kinds of businesses that exist in your community that being said it's definitely hard you know and um events help a lot things that bring people into the space um for other reasons where they then get to be like oh wow it's cool here i didn't know you have soap (laughs) 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 i didn't know you had like these amazing hand-poured candles from like a you know from beekeepers in upstate new york black beekeepers um but i mean that part i would say i'm the business side of it's like not my natural wheelhouse. So that's the challenge point for me. Like that's where I'm always trying to figure out how I can, how I can make it more sustainable as a business and also able to do the things for the community that, um, that I want for it to do. And I think that the community wants for it to do.
0: I, I tell you that neighborhood has been very welcoming. Oh, my neighbors here are like, honestly, they're like the, best. the element, I- like the, like the element <laughs> that used to hang out in front has moved across the street in deference to your being open and they keep a good watch. I do feel,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm so grateful. I feel super, um, I feel connected and I also feel, uh, pr- protected, um, in a way that you could only kind of hope for. But I also think those things are reciprocal, you know? Um, oh, absolutely. Cause I, in you, the sense that, like, I think welcoming. that they also feel like if something happened, they could come, they know they could come in here at any moment. And I'm not going to ask them, you know, my neighbors why they're here. I'm going
0: to be like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's very welcoming. Yeah. yeah. And I, I and it's, uh, it's uh, a... <clears throat> I mean, from the moment that you walk into the space, it is very welcoming. And I tell you what I, I love as a, as a child who, uh, who was a latchkey kid. I love that these kids get off the bus and they look in the window and they come in and they hang out to their grandparents or somebody come get them. Do you know what I mean? Like they come and they, and they are enamored of the books and the space, which, is, which for little kids in, in impoverished places, that's a big damn deal. That's a big big deal. They're you know.
1: also, right? They're also enamored of Miss Babs, Miss Ife, Miss K. You know, like the the people who are here and who, you know, aren't me and that just have that reaction to them when they walk in the room. I mean, then they're like that they're just that it's a joy to have them around. I don't know. I don't remember uh there weren't like tons of adults who who weren't my family, and there weren't there weren't tons who were my family. Who it just felt like I'm really glad you're around. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like that part of it too. Um, yeah, is really special when you when you see a kid feel like they know you like them. Yeah, you know, for no for no reason. Yeah, for no reason. Like you're not giving them a grade. You're not expecting them. To, they just kind of know you think they're worth it um and you know that's probably something that cuts it's maybe particularly important in certain kinds of places where like systems have left people underserved but I also think that's something that cuts across all groups like young people feeling seen
0: yes that's why I'm always wanting to buy a kid a book yeah I I know that (laughs) because I you know I was a poor kid and I You know, there was never any money for that kind of stuff, right? Like, even if I got an allowance, which was, you know, periodically, I I just couldn't, I mean, you know, it wasn't until I was a teenager and got a job that I had access to real money, you know, to my own money. But when you're a kid, man, and you know, you see your parents or your grandparents or whoever's raising you up against it. You know, you know not to ask for no money for a yep. book. Like you yeah. just, you just know that, and you're not going to do it in public, right? You're just going to be like, I w- you know, you're just going to secretly wish, and just because you're not going to do it. So, and I, and I see that in these children. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Whatever I could do, if I could get a kid a book, I'm gonna do it. I don't care because I know what I know that feeling of wanting something and you can't ask because you know the situation. And you don't dare ask because Mm -hmm. you're not going to embarrass your people. Do you know what I mean? And I I love that we have created space for these kids to come in and say, I really like this book, or I want to read this book. And and then they read these books and they can talk to you about them. (laughs) I (laughs) know. That's why I say,
1: you know, just like joy is a circle. All that stuff is like, it's just good for us as human beings, as like people living in community with each other.
0: So intergenerational what do you want for the-
1: conversations and like oh yes
0: it's
1: i amazing. mean it is amazing i love
0: it so so uh, as we wrap this up uh what do you what do you want for this possible futures i i love i love the name of it every time i say it it just gets me excited and i think wow possible futures like it just puts me forward thinking so yeah. what do you want what do you hope for what do you dream about
1: Oh, I mean, in so many ways, like it's the answer to a dream. Like I, I love being able to have a space where people can come and propose things to have happen and that those things can happen because there's a space that makes them possible. So, I mean, one thing is just, Continuing to have people like propose to do great things. I mean, there was a really wonderful like community altar built for Dia de los Muertos, which oh, I know, wow, and that really wasn't that wasn't like my idea. That there's some families that come in and we were having conversation, and it's funny because I spent so many years like in the Los Angeles area, like it was you know Dia de los Muertos was like something that was present in my in my life as somebody who worked in schools and communities and with teachers um and it's just been it's just been totally lovely but like then the artist was like well we could have some vendors and she arranged the vendors and it became this like beautiful bigger thing um and so I love that I love that like people actually feel like the space makes them think things are possible like this idea that they have. So that that to me is like already just a huge joy factor helping make it like actually financially sustainable and to be able to employ some more local young people feels um like a huge goal. Um figuring out how to have a structure for people to donate or or kind of um book fairy <laughs> book fairy themselves into young people's (laughs) lives in a way that you know because it is it's like I do think there's something to the fact that like you know same with the library if you come here there's going to be someone you can talk to about the books it's not just like a random thing of like picking off a shelf something that has a good cover like even when you brought your daughter the other day and I was talking to Margot about the different books that she could have like have chosen it's like it's an actual conversation and so helping young people feel like they can make real decisions because they have real information about the books that they want to read um that part feels wonderful and then just being connected more to the causes and issues that um that I care a lot about you know like the The work that um, some of the teachers are doing in New Haven around restorative justice with young people, it was totally wonderful that a group of them, two teachers and their students came here to meet somebody from the Yale Law School who's like doing that work in the world and had a real conversation and then got to pick books that were related in one way or another to to restorative justice or just to like sort of um, liberation more broadly um figuring out ways to make all of that you know sustainable over the long haul I don't you know I would I would like to be of use
0: well you are definitely a gem in the city (laughs) and in that neighborhood and uh it is I'm just glad to know you so I'm just glad to know I'm in Back that I'm you, I'm you in universe. So thank you so much. And, you know, I'll be through there later.
1: <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. And, <laughs> Beth, <thank you> for- <laughs> I was just going to say thank you for all the good um, ideas.
0: <laughs> Listen, as I said to Ife, I have a million, a thousand, a million ideas before two generous. You're generous <laughs>
1: with them. And they help make things possible, possible futures.
0: I love it. I love it. Okay, Harry. Now you can chew some music. I'll <laughs> see out. <laughs> I'll see you, I'll see you later, Miss Lauren Anderson. Thank you for your time this morning. So y'all make your way over to possible futures. It's right there on the corner of Hotchkiss and Edgewood. You cannot miss it. It's a beautiful space. I'll be back tomorrow. Y'all be good. Happy November 1st. Thanks, Harry. <laughs> And I'm not going be